What makes Easter so special? The world enjoys another weekend of marketing and capitalism as Americans flood the stores all around to purchase candy and toys and beautiful clothes. But the question is still there, isn't it? What makes Easter so special? This afternoon, most of you in here and people all over this nation will go to homes and they'll see family and friends and they'll eat gluttonous. I will also eat gluttonous meals, hopefully without committing gluttony. But the question that begs an answer is the same. What makes this day, what makes Easter so significant? And some of you, I know, are ready to give an answer. You're you're prepared. You've been in church all of your life. And you say, what makes Easter so special is that Jesus was raised from the dead on this day. And that's what we're celebrating. We're almost tried and glib with our confession that today is the day that Christ was raised from the dead. We almost say it unconsciously now. As if it's not really all that unfathomable that a man who was beaten beyond recognition spilt his lifeblood on the ground. Placed in a tomb, wrapped in Pounds and pounds and pounds of spices and cloth. We talk of the resurrection as if it's no great miracle. Oh, Jesus just was raised up. and That's what we're celebrating. So, is Easter really all that special? Should we just join the world in marking another day? to spend our money on frivolous things and eat food we enjoy but won't matter that much tomorrow or maybe see old friends and rekindle old relationships. Easter is significant because Jesus Christ died. He was God in the flesh. And he willed himself to die. He was buried by those who loved him. And then for three days, for those who loved him, it was as if the world had come to an end. It was no glib, trite little fact, it was no magician's trick. When on the third morning, at dawn, women went to his tomb and found it empty. It was no sleight of hand which they witnessed Peter first barging in uncontrolled into holy ground to see that his Savior was no longer there. 
It was no trite, simple fact when Mary Magdalene asked, What have you done with the body of my Lord? And then she heard, Mary, can't you see? It's me. We run past the significance of Easter, chasing after so many other things to try to fill the void of our life and make us feel significant. The significance of this day stands unchallenged. This is the day when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Tony Jones, who makes himself a modern-day prophet, he's a part of the emergent movement. He blogs all over the Internet, thousands and thousands of words for young people to read. and He makes himself a self-professed teacher of God's Word. I'd like to quote him about this day. He says, some people, writing on Friday, he wrote this on his blog, some people today may find it compelling that some great cosmic transaction took place on that day, 1980 years ago. That God's wrath burned against His Son instead of against me. I find that version of atonement theory neither intellectually compelling, spiritually compelling, nor in keeping with the biblical narrative. Instead, Jesus' death offers life because in Christianity and in Christianity alone, the God and Creator of the universe designed to become human, to be tempted, to reach out to those who had been dehumanized and restore their humanity and ultimately to die in solidarity with every one of us. Yes, He was a sacrifice. Yes, He was sinless. But thank God Jesus is a human. To some people, this day is really not all that significant. Because all it does is take us from dehuman to human. But I want to tell you that today doesn't take us from dehuman to human. It takes us from death to life. If you find yourself in Christ this morning... You have passed over from death to life in such a way that you might now taunt death by saying, Oh death, where is your sting? Because the sting of death is sin. And my Savior has taken my sin upon Himself, went into the tomb, faced death and burial on my behalf, and now has been resurrected to new life. He took my sin. He bore my curse that's the significance of today not as Tony Jones the self-professed prophet who I would say is a wolf in sheep's clothing would have you believe just some mere human died and was resurrected God himself died and was resurrected What makes Easter so special? May I simply say, He bore our curse. I want to bring the details of the truth of the gospel to you that make this weekend special. 
They make every day special for those who are in Christ. And I hope that today in this message and in this passage in Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14, that Christ would make clear to you what road of life you are following. There are two roads to life put forth in this passage by the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit. And I hope that you leave here today knowing what road you're following. Let me read the text again because it's very significant. Follow it with me. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the one who by faith is righteous will live. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse For us. For it's written, cursed is everyone. Everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to us, the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Two roads of life in this passage What makes Easter significant will help you answer this question. What road are you on? What road are you following? If, first of all, you are on the road of legalism, you are cursed by God and damned to hell. You're guilty. In regard to the law, if you are continuing counting on fulfilling the law for salvation, you're guilty of the law. That's what it says in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law. Now, I want to tell you, every time Paul uses that phrase, works of the law, it is negative. It's never positive. And I know many of you will say, but Carlton James, Christ's brother, says, without Works, faith is dead. And Paul himself says in Titus chapter 3 verse 5, encourage the believers to do good works. How is it that we can be damning ourselves by doing works of the law? Because he's very specific in this phrase. Works of the law, you need to understand this, would be translated modern day legalism. Phariseeism. Some of us, unfortunately, are on this road. All of our lives, we've been fairly good people. We were raised in southern 
polite, middle class, church going culture. Most of us were raised that way that are gathered here today. And you would say, I am a Christian. And I'm just simply asking you to look at your life as we go through this first part of the sermon and see, are you a Christian or are you a moralist, a legalist? Paul was fighting against the temptation of those Galatians who were being persuaded that though they had believed in Jesus Christ by faith, that now they were to add to their faith the completion of the law. Legalism. That by obeying, God would then find favor with them. Or they would find favor with God. The works of the law phrase is very important to understanding what's going on in this passage. That phrase is always negative. Look in Galatians 2, just probably across the page, verse 16. When Paul writes... Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. See, it's negative. But through faith in Jesus Christ. So we all have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Negative. Because by works of the law, negative, no one will be justified. He never uses that phrase positively. He never says, you need to appease God by obeying His law. You need to earn favor with God through what you do and what you say and what you think and where you go and who you know. God never, God never finds that acceptable. And we will never be justified through legalism. Some of us are so legalistic that we don't even realize that we're legalistic. The curse of the law is on us in such a way that we are eternally separated from the body of Christ and yet we fashion ourselves Christians. If I asked you this morning, how do you know you are in Christ? How do you know you are in Christ? Answer the question for yourself in your mind. How do you know that you are in Christ? We might ask the question, how are you saved? And when I ask the question, if your answer sounded anything like, I'm saved because of Jesus and what He did for me on the cross... And I go to church, and I pray, and I read my Bible, and I hang out with Christian people, and I do good things for old people, and I am wise with my money, and I sing songs of praise, and I listen to Christian radio, and I'm a conservative, and I'm, I'm for God. That's how I'm saved. You need to... Stop for a moment and think seriously about what road you're following. 
You can't follow both roads. You have no hope in trying to be in Christ and in your good works. The curse of the law hangs over you. The curse of the law hangs over you. You are guilty in regard to the law if you think that it is counting on or counting on it to fulfill your salvation. You are cursed because depending on the law for salvation is self-righteous legalism. He quotes Moses here. In Deuteronomy 27, verse 26, Moses said that we would be cursed, that the people would be cursed if they did not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. He quotes Moses because it is to Moses that many of you will appeal and it's to Moses that many of the Galatian Christians appealed to defend their legalism. But the law was written for us and our children, Paul. And so we better do what the law says or God will curse us. But they omit that last phrase in Deuteronomy 27. All things. Do you see that phrase in your quote in Galatians 3, verse 10 at the end? Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things written in the book of the law. That applies two ways. If you're on the road of earning God's love for yourself, let me tell you how hard it is. This afternoon, go back to the book of Exodus. Begin in chapter 20 and examine your life according to the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other God before me. You shall worship no graven image. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. That's to mock any of His works. To put on a lesser level anything God has done is to mock Him and to take His name in vain. You're uncomfortable with that part of the law, maybe. Let's move to the moral part. You shall not murder, but remember, if you're angry, you've murdered. You shall not commit adultery, but if you look at a woman with lust in your eye, you have committed adultery. You shall not steal anything. And yet, if you have looked at something with covetousness in your heart, you've stolen. The reason the law is a curse, one way it's a curse, is you humanly cannot do it. You can't do it. The church is full. This building is full of people who say, I'm good. I'm a good person. We need to come to the fact this morning we are not good people. We are sinners. I'm a sinner. You are a sinner. There is no hope in I'm a good person. You will die and stoke hell for eternity as a good person. Your hope on this Easter morning, what makes Easter so special is He bore my curse. He bore it. That's one way you offend God's law. But there's another way you offend God's law. If you're trying to fulfill God's law as a way of earning His favor in your life... You've already offended Him because He never gave you the law to save you. You're misusing the law of God. Therefore, He holds you guilty of the whole law even if you could humanly keep it. You would be offending Him. God never said do these things to be saved. 
God never said do these things to be my people. God said you are my people. Prior relationship. Therefore, these things are a part of your life. You can be on the road of legalism by one, thinking you're saving yourself through your good works, or by two, misusing the law of God as a means to salvation. God never wrote His law to save anybody. Nobody in the day of Moses was saved because they obeyed the covenant. They were saved because God kept the covenant and because He loved them by His grace. And so we look at this passage and we say we're guilty because if we're counting on the law to save us, we're under the curse. You're cursed because depending on the law for salvation is self-righteous legalism. Legalism is works outside of a changed heart. Deuteronomy 30, verses 6 through 7, God says, I will circumcise your heart in regard to the law. If the Holy Spirit has not indwelt you as a believer and you're trying to keep God's law, you're heaping up for yourself wrath in the coming day of judgment. You're better off to not obey the law of God. Because every time you obey it in such a way as to think you're saving yourself, it's further condemnation against you. You cannot obey it unless God has changed your heart. You are a legalist if your works are outside the enablement of God. Deuteronomy 4, 30-31, Moses said, God, make us to obey. If God doesn't give us the ability to obey, we can't do it. If you're not depending on God, in other words, no matter how good you are, you're a legalist. You are a legalist if your works are outside of faith in Jesus Christ. I want to just quickly read to you one passage from Deuteronomy that just really strikes me. It really strikes me. Deuteronomy 1, verse 28, Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Then I said... To you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Why does that strike me? Because God wasn't commanding the people of Israel to go and take possession of the land by their power. He was saying the same God who conquered Egypt on your behalf will conquer your enemies on your behalf. It is an example to us that faith in Christ is what conquers sin and death. Not my ability to do good works. I cannot be saved through doing good works. You cannot purchase right standing before God on the basis of legalism. Look at 11 verse A. I mean 11 uh, verse 11 A, the first part. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Justified means counted righteous. This is a legal term in Paul's day, used to talk about the right standing of an accused before his accuser. God has accused us. He has said we are all guilty. And yet, he says, you can't be justified by the law. You can't make an appeal to the law in God's courtroom. Listen, God the judge sits behind the bench this morning, gavel in hand. And you are the accused. And when he brings charges against you, 
I pity, I pity anyone who appeals to his law as a defendant. When God says you've worshipped other gods, I pity anyone who says, Oh God, but just like you said in the law, you shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make graven images. I hadn't made any graven images. I hadn't worshipped any false gods. On that basis, you will be judged and cursed. You're cut off. You're hopeless in your works. Justified means counted righteous. Counted righteous. It's also an accounting term. We're accounted unto God righteous. The law can't do this for you. Legalism is rejection of God. No matter how pretty it is on the outside, it is death on the inside. Legalism is setting your own self up as an object of worship. By the mere fact that you believe you can do good things and God will accept you, you now are worshiping yourself. And you're guilty. Legalism is nothing but filthy rags. Every good thing you do outside of Christ is nothing but a filthy, despicable, treasonous act. You're separated from righteousness because of your legalistic good works. As a matter of fact, the more you work, the more separated and cut off you are. That's why some of you are so tired. You've come to church on Easter morning and you're wore out from doing good things. And you're at the end of your rope and you're saying, I've done all I can do and I, I just can't do enough. Join the club. I can't do enough. No one except God can do enough to save a sinner. We're separated by our Legalistic good works. How he quotes Habakkuk in verse 11. He quotes Habakkuk. And in the reading it said the righteous shall live by faith. But an alternate reading, one that really helps us understand is a reading that I think is probably more correct. It says the one who by faith is righteous will live. Philippians 3. Verses 2 through 8, Paul writes a list of good works. He warns the Philippian believers to look out for those who would come as dogs, who would mutilate the flesh. The same people who were in Galatia were attacking the Christians at Philippi. And he says, We are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. And we put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Listen to Paul's works of the law. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee to righteousness, under the law blameless, but whoever, but whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so, here in this text in Galatians, he says, the one who lives by faith, the one who lives by faith will be counted righteous in Christ. 
Paul had every advantage from us. None of us have followed the rituals and the rules of the Jewish faith. None of us, none of us can say we are Hebrew of the Hebrews, born of the tribe of Benjamin. None of us can claim acceptance to God based on our ethnic heritage and our good works of righteousness. Paul had all the advantages, and yet he says, all of that stuff is worth counted as rubbish. Excrement. I throw it on the trash heap to be burned. Everything I did in my flesh, I count it as nothing. And so if the greatest legalist in world history would say, I cannot be saved by my legalism, how then might we boast of our salvation through our works? What have we done that compares with Paul? Forget comparing yourself to Christ. Just compare yourself to Paul. How many of you would say you have kept the over 600 regulations of the Pharisees to the letter from the time you became aware of them until the day you die? How many of us would claim that? You don't even know them, do you? Therefore, you couldn't have kept them, but Paul did. He said, I kept it. I lived it. And Paul says, the greatest legalist to ever walk the face of the earth, saved by the grace of God, then says, legalism is death. Doing good works is useless. You can't save yourself that way. It appears righteous, but it's nothing but filthy, despicable rags. That's one road that we've looked at. And at the end of the road, you'll have to admit failure if you pursue God through your good works because this is contrary to the purpose of the law. You're going to have to admit failure one day. Whether you're ready to admit today or not, you're going to admit one day, I've failed. I have totally failed. In verses 12 and 13, Paul mentions the law, but the law is not of faith. That seems to contradict what James says, doesn't it? It seems to contradict other things Paul wrote in other places. May I suggest that what Paul, if you notice in your translation, he doesn't capitalize that word law. What may I suggest that what he's really contrasting is people who earn their salvation by works and those who are in faith. Not that the Mosaic law was ever meant to be a law of works to save us. It was always meant to be by grace. It was always meant to be by faith in the Son of God. That was always the way it was. The people in the Old Testament were not saved by the blood of lambs and goats. They were not saved because they kept the regulations of the law or because they made sacrifice year on end. They were saved the way we are saved, by the blood of Jesus Christ alone. And Paul is saying, if you believe your legalistic law is by faith, you're wrong. It's not by faith. It's works. The one who does them shall live by them. Leviticus 18, verse 25. Another Old Testament quote, which they took out of context. To say, see, these grace preachers, these people saying it's all about Jesus. The Old Testament says if you do the works of the law, you better do them all. Keep them. They were oppressing people with legalism. Churches today, 
Churches today are filled with legalists in the pulpits, which enslaved the people of God by the Old Testament covenant, instead of seeing that covenant through the eyes of grace and setting God's people free through the power of Jesus Christ. When somebody pipes up and says, do this to be saved, if it's anything but repent and believe in Jesus Christ, it is legalism and you're on the wrong road. You will admit failure at the end. And what I'm going to call you to as we draw now to the second point is get on the right road. You're on the wrong road. Repent of Jesus and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. In our natural condition, we are all sinners. Some people sin and they show their sin by denying God. That's atheism and agnosticism. Those people are easy to pick on because we say rational people believe there's something greater than us. We spend a lot of time and blood and tears on those people. And rightly, some people should. But I don't want to focus on them because most of them don't go to Easter services and they don't listen to the Word of God preached because they believe it's false. Other people, just as sinful as the atheist and agnostic, as this other group of people who show their sinful condition by trying to bribe God with their personal good works. They try to hold God hostage. For salvation. Both of these groups of people will suffer under the curse of God for eternity. Both of them. And if you are here and you're trying to earn your salvation by good works, please, by all means, repent of your good works and believe in Jesus Christ. Rest in Him and Him alone for your salvation. You cannot appease God's wrath by your good works. His wrath is being kindled against you every day you draw breath and work to earn His pleasure. It only heaps displeasure on you from God. Do you believe God owes you? You say, how do I know if I'm a legalist? Do you believe God owes you something because you've been a good person? Do you believe God owes you? If you believe God owes you, it's a good clue that you're on the wrong road and that you're not in Christ. Because in Christ you realize, I owe God everything. And He requires no payment. Payment has been made in full through Jesus Christ. So, we come to this second road If you are on the road of faith, you are blessed by God and accepted as righteous in Christ for eternity. If you're on the road of faith, you're blessed by God and accepted as righteous. Jesus Christ became cursed by God on our behalf to save us from the curse. Listen, this is what Easter is all about. It is a great text. Listen to what he says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. The greatest thing that happened in these moments on Good Friday, the greatest thing that happened was God's wrath was laid on Jesus Christ. That's the greatest thing that happened on Good Friday. God 
struck his son. God wounded his son. God lashed his son. God humiliated his son. God crucified his son. God poured out the curse of of sin and the law on his son. That's the great news that comes from the cross. The curse is on him. The curse is on him. Isaiah 53, 4-6 says, Surely Christ has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Christ stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But Christ was wounded for our transgressions. Christ was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Christ was the, was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with Christ's stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, that other road. We've all gone that way. And the Lord has laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. Jesus suffered hell on your behalf and my behalf if we are in him today. He suffered our hell. We've never been through what he went through. We've never suffered what he suffered. Jesus Christ was obviously cursed because he was hanged on a tree. As evidence to God's curse against his son, Paul brings out the Old Testament text, Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23, that says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him that same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. The Jewish people did not crucify. They stoned people to death. But once they stoned you, they strung your body from a tree so that everyone might see that you were damned. And Jesus Christ said in John 3, I will be lifted up so that all men might come to the Father through me. Jesus was hung on a tree as evidenced. He could have died any number of ways. The Jews could have tried him as a blasphemer and stoned him. But God doesn't want to confuse anybody. He wants everyone to know. He wants everyone to see the offer made for salvation. He hung it up for all to see. It was a public offer. We have no right to barter with God. He's all sufficient. If you're trying to earn God's righteousness today, can I simply ask, what will you give Him that He does not already have? Your church attendance? 365 days of reading the Bible? What will you give him? Money? Your children? Love and adoration? God is not a beggar. He doesn't need anything. You can't barter with someone who has no needs. You can't barter with him. You've got to submit to him and say, Oh,
Christ. Please. Please. Accept me. We have no hope unless he bears our curse. And Paul said he bore our curse on the tree. Jesus Christ fulfilled the promise of Abraham so we might receive the blessing of Abraham. Verse 14. We're celebrating in Easter God's faithfulness from generation to generation. His faithfulness to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and 22. The repeating of the covenant which God made with his servant Abraham has been fulfilled in Christ for us. Paul says the promise of Abraham comes to us, the Gentiles, so that we might have his spirit, the spirit of God by faith. If you're on the first road, you have no hope. Everything you do will be used against you in God's court as a witness to your self-righteous legalism, which damns you to hell. You have no hope. If you're on the second road, which is of faith, you have the sure witness of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of you to say, our God is faithful to His promises. At times I fear... God, yesterday, I, I feared God because I sinned. I, I, I sinned against God yesterday, and it hit me for just a moment. Cursed is everyone who does not keep all things of the law. And immediately assurance flooded me. Yes, but to those who are in Christ, He has borne your curse, and you now are clothed in His righteousness. And so, Easter is powerful. It is special because the promise to Abraham was fulfilled in Christ on our behalf so that we might be filled with the Spirit of God by faith. The Abraham's descendants were promised that they would inherit the earth and that everyone who blessed Abraham would be blessed and those who cursed Abraham would be cursed. And now I ask one more time, what makes today special? What makes Easter so special? He bore our curse And we received His promise. We, those who are on the road of faith, we have received justification before our God. We now stand in that courtroom acquitted. Not based on our prayers or our walking aisle or our being baptized or our good works. We stand in that court acquitted and set free because the penalty we should have paid has already been paid. And God is just and the justifier of all who are in Jesus Christ. If you want to say that Easter is special, then say it's special because we have been justified by Jesus Christ. If you want to talk about how special Easter is, it's special because we've received the promised Holy Spirit. We, the Bible says, 1 Peter 
quotes, we could quote it and say, we are the temple of the living God. Being built up as living stones upon, upon the great cornerstone, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is in us. Don't get excited about Easter bunnies and candy and pretty dresses and church. Even get wrapped up in the glory of the fact that He dwells in you. His Spirit, which He promised, has now been poured out on all of His sons who have joined Him by faith in Jesus Christ. We can celebrate Easter because we've received the whole earth. The earth is now our dominion. Romans chapter 4. The Bible tells us through the pen of Paul that Abraham was not trusting God for Palestine. He was trusting God for the whole earth. And so therefore, this is God's dwelling place. Every nation is God's dwelling place now. And we have inherited the earth. We can celebrate Easter. Because we have received a promise, inheritance in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. The same writer Paul who said, Christ now has given you the fulfillment of Abraham's promise, which was that the Spirit would dwell in you, said in Ephesians 1, You've been sealed by this Holy Spirit of promise. What does that mean? That means we have the title deed on eternity. Through Jesus Christ, we now are co-heirs with Him. Eternity is ours. Listen, don't boast about your good works. Boast of the good work of Christ on your behalf. Don't go out of here working harder for your salvation. Believe in Christ and be saved and inherit eternity. It's open to you today through Christ. We celebrate Easter for all of these reasons. We celebrate Easter because it is the cornerstone of our faith that we have received victory over death and sin, the sting of death. We have received Him who is exalted, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. If that's not cause for celebration, then let all celebration cease and let mourning begin because there's no hope in the earth. There's no hope without Him. What makes Easter special? He bore our curse so that we are clothed in His righteousness before God our Father forever and eternity. Let's pray. Father.